So the title of my message today is The Book of Revelation is a Blessing. And my first point is the healthy fear of God. So uh, as we've been studying the book of Revelation in Blast, a few people have come up to me and say, oh, the book of Revelation, that's scary. Uh, I do have to admit, though, that the book of Revelation has a lot of things in it that are terrifying. Uh, but should we be afraid of this book? A healthy fear of God is good. And in fact, in Proverbs 9, it says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. As Christians, we should have a good understanding of the nature of God. And we get that by reading and studying the scriptures, which includes the book of Revelation. Wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. The book of Revelation tells us that there is a blessing to those who read it. In Revelation 1, this is what it says. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads it aloud, the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who read it and take it to heart. What is written in it, because the time is near. Read it out loud, hear it, and take it to heart. That is what the scripture says to do. And if you do that, you will be blessed. So if you're avoiding this book, you're missing out on a blessing. The wrath of God is serious. Just read Revelation, and you will see God's wrath is not a joke. God hates evil, and his wrath is prepared to be unleashed on those who reject him. And the, those, it's, it's going to be released on those who reject him and accept the evil in their lives. We need to let that sink in. Let me help it sink in a little bit um, by brief, briefly running through highlights of the wrath of God as mentioned in the book. And these are highlights. So in Revelation chapter 6, it describes what are called the seven seals. This is the beginning of the tribulation or the trouble. Revelation 6 brings war, conflict, scarcity, and poverty. It brings widespread death on earth. A quarter of the earth will perish, and there will be martyrs. There will be a great earthquake, and stars from heaven will fall to earth. And when the seventh seal is open, there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. Can you imagine that? Complete silence. 
Many biblical scholars have looked at this and come to the conclusion that there are no women in heaven. <laughs> I'm going to have to say I would have to go ahead and disagree with them, though. Seriously, though, Revelations actually tells us that the seventh seal opens up seven more trumpet judgments. The seven trumpets, hail and fire mingled with blood, and one-third of the earth, one-third of the earth and grass burns up. Something like a great mountain is cast into the sea, and one-third of the sea becomes blood. One-third of the creatures in the sea perish, one-third of the ships are destroyed, one-third of the rivers and springs become bitter, and one-third of men perish. One-third of the sun and moon are struck so that one-third of their light does not shine. Here's a good one. Locusts like horses prepare for battle, sting men who don't have the seal of God for five months. Four angels are released to kill one-third of mankind. The seventh trumpet, the temple of God in heaven is open, flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, and a great hailstorm. Now the seven bowls. These start with boils on the ones who have taken the mark of the beast. Notice that this is for those who took the mark of the beast. The next is the sea becomes blood and all living creatures in it die. Rivers and springs become blood. The sun is given power to scorch man. The Antichrist, Antichrist kingdom become dark and they gnaw their teeth because of the pain. Euphrates dries up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. The seventh bowl ends with a voice of the temple says it is done lightning thunder and the great earthquake quake that splits the city into three 100 pound hailstones come down to crush the blasphemers and this was only a light description of the wrath of god in the book of revelation so there's a lot more detail in there and i encourage you to go take a look at that so in Revelations 21.8, we read this. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So how is the wrath of God a blessing to read out loud, hear, and take to heart? That is a great question, and I'm glad I asked. God the Father does not tolerate evil in his presence. Did you hear that? God the Father does not tolerate evil in his presence. God does not allow anything but good in his kingdom. 
We we are all excited about heaven and the perfection that lies ahead for us. But for this to happen, there needs to be a separation of good and evil. God does that through his sound judgment. And those who reject him are subject to his wrath. The wrath of God can, can make us think twice about the way we are conducting ourselves. Do we want to be subject to the wrath of God? I am personally motivated by it. Just like I was motivated by the wrath of my own father growing up. He made things very uncomfortable for me when I was misbehaving. Right, Mason? (laughs) He made them so uncomfortable that I would definitely think twice before repeating the bad behavior. And I will tell you today, it is a blessing in my life because it kept me from heading down a destructive path. God's wrath discourages rebellion for those who have a healthy fear of him. The fear of God brings wisdom. God's wisdom draws you to God and not away from him. Being being drawn closer to God is an awesome blessing. Now we come to the most important thing about the book of Revelation, the highlight. We do not want to miss this. And it is the return of Jesus Christ. And don't forget that. It is the answer in children's class when you don't know the answer. Jesus. Right? I'm stressing this because it seems as too many people focus on the wrong thing in the book, the doom and the gloom. The only reason you would have to focus on the doom and gloom is if you are subject to the doom and gloom. You catch my drift? God's wrath is not directed at his people. Many people also focus on the rapture when it's going to come. The rapture is a term referring to the time when Jesus pulls his people from the earth to meet him in the sky. You know what I just realized? We're talking about the book of Revelation and the rapture, and I didn't even write in a joke about if we get raptured right now. Larry should read my notes, right? (laughs) Ding! (laughs) He, He just got it. It's a common joke for all you visitors. (laughs) Where was I here? Uh, Some say the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation starts. And some say in the middle of the tribulation. And some say after the tribulation is over. Some say it's hogwash. I'm not sure what hogwash is. Just like I have no idea what pee waddle is. <laughs> you, have, you have probably heard um, the term pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Maybe we tend to focus on this because we don't want the tribulation to knock the pee waddle out of us. <laughs> Did I use that term correctly? Is that? I had to work you into this somehow. But I have to be honest with you, when I started developing this message, 
Uh, I wanted to make sure and stress the fact that we focus way too much on the wrath of God in Revelation. So then I sent my notes to Pastor Brent for review. And what did he say? Yeah, too much wrath of God. <laughs> right? It's like, that's way too much. Okay. So true followers of God have God on their side. Look at Noah. He, told, he was told that there was going to be a major flood. He focused on the boat, not the water. The rescue from the flood. And in Revelation, Jesus is coming back for his bride. I'm sorry. In Revelations, Jesus represents the boat for us. Uh, so Jesus, yeah. <clears throat> and then, let's, sorry, I got lost in my notes here. Jesus is coming back for his bride. So that brings me to my next point, the bride of Christ. Scripture refers to the church as the bride of Christ. Revelation mentions seven lampstands. This is one of the symbols that refers to the seven churches. Revelations 1.12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Revelations 1.20 says, The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Here we see an example of a symbol, the seven lampstands, and then it is revealed what the symbol represents. The symbol is very fitting to us as Jesus referred as Jesus referred to us in Matthew 5:14 as the light of the world. So in Revelations 2 and 3, Jesus gave John a message for the churches, and here it is. I'm going to read three of them. As, we, as I read through this text, I just want you to think a little bit how uh, this applies to the current church. So in Revelations 2, 2 through 7, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and I have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do these things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This wouldn't apply to us, would it? 
When we first learn about who God is, we are excited and we read about him and we pray about him and we begin to fall in love with him. But there's also this life that we live here on earth that has many other things for us to love and chase after. Should I name a few of these and make you a little uncomfortable and maybe a little upset at me? How about I name one of mine? So you can examine yourself and see uh, if you might be forsaken your relationship as you hear about mine. I love watching football and I like the San Francisco 49ers. This does at time consume um, more of my time in my life than it should. I find myself reading count, countless news articles and can find that my mood suffers when they lose a game. I've been trying to work on keeping this desire for a team that plays a kid's game, by the way, in check in my life. There are things in this life that are enjoyable and we are blessed to have them in our lives. But when it, come, when it becomes your whole reason for existence, then it is what God refers to as an idol, not a good thing. I recently heard about a funeral that was decorated in Dallas cowboy paraphernalia. That is pretty sad. <laughs> and no 49er junk wouldn't be any better. People, who, people will know what is important to you in your life. They will easily identify your idols. So how am I going to make sure that people don't show up at my funeral with 49er crap? Or whatever else I might be focusing on in this earth? I guess I can read, hear, and take Revelation to heart. It gives me a message not to forsake my first love. It says to repent and those who are victorious will eat from the tree of life. Eating from the tree of life is a major blessing. We will still struggle though. And the apostle Paul said in Romans seven nineteen, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. The Apostle Paul struggled with doing the right thing just as we do. There is a battle that we are fighting in our sinful flesh. I was listening to Chuck Swindoll the other day and he mentioned a quote from Tom Landry. In case you don't know who Tom Landry is, he was the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys for 29 years. <laughs> and he was very successful. He passed away in 2000. The quote was, leadership is getting someone to do what they don't want to do, to achieve what they want to achieve. So as part of the pastoral leadership team at Desert Heights, I'm trying to lead you right now to study the book of Revelation. It will give you many reasons to forget about the idols in your life. I guarantee you that. And then you will receive the blessing. Okay, now the church of Pergamum. To the church of Pergamum, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, 
These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas. My faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have these few things against you. There are some among you who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So why would Jesus be concerned with idol worship and sexual immorality in the church? He is, after all, the sacrifice that takes away our sins. The problem is the church becomes okay with sin in the church and makes it a habit with no remorse. We are broken and we still sin, but we should be running from it in our lives. It should not sit well with us. We have kind of talked about this in Blast class. In the scriptures, it says that Satan is the father of lies. If you make an unrepented habit of sinning, if lying in your life, then who is your father? Let's see what, let's see what it says in Galatians about a life of sin. In Galatians 5, 19 through 22, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Remember that this is a message from Jesus to the churches. Jesus has an answer for our sinful nature and the, requ and the requirement is that we repent and follow him. Jesus never calls us to be comfortable in our sin. And we see this in the message to the seven churches. Now the church of Laodicea. In Revelation 3, 14 through 22, 
to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the rulers of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can be rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those, who I'm, who, those whom I love and I rebuke and dis, I, those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne. Jesus, just as I was victorious and sat down with the Father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So many of us have heard about God's disgust with us being lukewarm and he spits us out of his mouth. We may not be dead, but we are barely alive. These people are wealthy and they rely on their wealth, not realizing it comes from God. Who in here thinks they're poor? Don't raise your hand, it's a trick question. The bottom half of the world's population lives on $2 a day. Let's see, doing the math, $2, 365 days a year, $730 a year. Some of you probably spent that much eating out last week. <laughs> it's getting expensive to eat these days. $730 a year, so who is poor? If you live in America, you are considered wealthy by worldly standards. What comes with this temptation is the temptation to rely on our wealth and not understand that we are blessed by God. We begin to think we are doing it all by ourselves and we don't really need God. And so we kind of forget about him for long stretches of time, like when we leave from this church building. Not really concerned or enthused with him. The message John receives about the seven churches is a message to us also. We are at a great disadvantage here in, this, in America because we are rich. Remember the scripture says that it is easier for a camel go, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter, enter heaven. This should give us pause. If you keep reading, though, you will see that it continue on to say, with man nothing is possible, but with God all things are possible. If you rely on yourself and your riches, 
you stand on your own and fall. If you rely on Christ, he stands for you, and you are victorious. So did you catch the blessing in that passage? To the one that is victorious, you will sit with Jesus on his throne. Is that exciting or what? All right, just like I promised, my prediction of the end times, and here it is, the rapture of the church will take place on the day, in the hour, in the future, and Jesus is coming back for his people. Okay, you can get that information from reading the book. It was kind of cheating. But think about it. We are told in this book that Jesus will be returning to earth to pick us up. And I don't care if it's today or tomorrow. All I know is that I want to be prepared for it. And God will handle the rest. So point number three is in the presence of God. And so before I start this last point, I just want to say that this is probably one of the things that, as I was teaching through BLAST, um, it really struck, it struck me. That's why I put it in here. But this is, is, is pretty, pretty awesome. One of the bigger blessings I have gotten out of teaching revelations in the BLAST class. So in the presence of God. So part of Apostle John's experience included being called up to heaven in Revelations 1, 7, chapter 1, 17 through 18. And it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Being in the presence of God is overwhelming and all-consuming. John, in a moment, was overcome and fell on his face as if dead. It is awesome that the God we worship is so mighty that we cannot stand before him. This is a God worth worshiping. There's nothing on this earth that overwhelms us like this. So we don't have a proper understanding of the presence of God. Then he says to John, don't be afraid. Be afraid of what? The power of God and the perfection he demands. And why not? because he holds the keys to death and the grave. He has the power to redeem us and perfect us so that we can stand in the presence of God. If we really knew God in his full glory, we would also be on our faces every time we, st we stood before him to worship. 